Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Network. I am Chad Millman. We are still deep, deep, deep in the heart of the NBA playoffs. And I got to admit, the other night, our collective boss at the Volume Network, Mr. Colin Cowherd, had me on his podcast. Uh, We were discussing the Memphis Grizzlies as four and a half point underdogs to the Warriors in the final play-in game for the Grizz to get that eighth spot. And Colin was convinced he should go with the Grizzlies. And I'm like, dude, did you see how well the Warriors played the Lakers? And the Lakers were at full strength. And the Warriors are playing with, you know, uh, Steph Curry and Juan Toscano-Anderson and Jordan Poole. And they matched them step for step. Of course, you're going to take the Warriors at four and a half. Of course, the Warriors didn't cover at four and a half. I've been feeling guilty about that ever since. But the playoffs uh, up until recently, uh, this last game, it's Tuesday afternoon. Monday night, the games were blowouts, but there were some really fun games over the weekend. I am going to discuss the NBA playoffs with contributor Brandon Anderson, one of our podcast regulars for the Action Network NBA podcast with Michael Walton, recent Thursday Thunderdome champion, uh, basketball obsessive, fellow Chicagoan, host of his own Chicago Bulls podcast. After that, Mike Leboff is going to come on. He's going to continue his love affair with my co-host, Simon Hunter. We're going to talk NHL. But first, my BFF, my companion, cryptocurrency gazillionaire. Down to one house, still looking for love, Simon Hunter, my brother. All facts. Chad, how do you not listen to anything I teach you? That Memphis game, again, Chad, don't watch the games. Just don't even watch it. You watch the numbers. That game literally was plus five, even though 80% of the money was coming on the Warriors, it bumped down to four and a half. I mean, do I need to say more, Chad? That was a layup bet in that Memphis game. So it's heartbreaking to hear you're on the other side of that one. I make bad decisions all the time. Anyone who has ever listened to this podcast knows throughout the year, I will make impossibly bad decisions. And not only that, I have a gift 
for convincing everybody that it is the right decision. There's a video right now that was just posted that one of our video producers, Barbara Alberts, put together. That is me making uh, bad dad jokes on our NBA show Heat Check that we do uh, twice a week. I usually do it with Justin Fan and Preston Johnson, AKA Sports Cheetah. Throughout the show, I will end up making some joke and they are such in their heads, NBA geeks, fan especially, uh, they don't respond ever. It, they, it just goes right over their heads. That is one of the gifts that dads have. The other gift that dads have, this is the equivalent of dad strength, is being able to answer authoritatively about anything, no matter how wrong you are. It's truly a gift. I just couldn't believe you didn't open up the action app. If you just open it up, you would have saw all those signals right there. But hey, Chad, what can you do? You're unlike you. All of us have to grind to get our winnings. You, you can just open uh, open up on Cowherd Show and just say, nah, don't take Memphis. So that's just how it goes. That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> I just go against the grain when the grain is going with me. You know what I'm saying? You got to unpack that for a second, Simon. That's, that's uh, way too deep. How are you doing? How How's everything been? Are you getting positive feedback about your love life? I just want to make sure we're updating people on that. Yeah, I um, actually finally sold some stock. Uh, I the Basically, the guy who predicted the um, collapse in 2008, he's shorting Tesla right now, stock-wise. Michael Burry and, is his name. He was yes. the subject of the book, The Big Short, also played by Christian Bale in the movie, The Big Short to widespread acclaim guy's a legend he's never wrong everything he does he's always a step ahead so i basically was heavy invested in them so i dumped all of it and i went and bought a beamer bought a bmw boy so yeah took tesla money that i made in stock market instead of buying a tesla i bought a beamer so it, it's definitely uh, i'm in a weird time right now chad did you oh my god it's like you're having a midlife crisis because <laughs> i am because you got dumped and like you can't spiral out of it. I need this football season to start just to <laughs> get too. you back focused. I need it. What kind of BMW did you buy? Uh, a 330i. So it's a, a GT. So it's like a it's a bigger car for like a big guy like me. Did you uh, lease it or did you buy it? <laughs> uh, chat cash, bro. Cash. Cash. You you walked up to the dealer. And did you look around? Did you shop? Were you just like, I want this car, give it to me. I don't care what price it is. I don't know if you realize this yet, Chad. I'm overkill Simon. If I'm going to do something, I study it until there's nothing left. So I've been, probably been on this car for like three months. Basically, all I do is haggle. Like I have nothing to do. I like to call up dealerships and I just bullshit these guys for about 20 minutes just trying to get a good price. So finally, I broke a guy's spirit after three months of torturing this guy because it was going to be straight cash. And uh, he finally hit me up. A guy up in North Jersey. I went up there. No, no check or anything like that. Just a cash in a book bag. And uh, yeah, pretty much took like usually it takes like two, three hours to get a car. It took about 30 minutes. You had cash in a book bag. You just what? How much did how much how much did the car cost? <laughs> Chad, so much personal info. After taxes, I think it was like 31. And so was it heavy to carry thirty one thousand dollars in a book bag? No, no, it's. It's. A, I mean, I'll I'll start showing cash during the football season. How funny it is! Where you think a lot of cash looks like a lot of money, but like literally like a hundred k, I can hold like that in my hands. It's not as as much money as you think when it's hundred dollar bills. But 
no, it's a cool feeling taking out a wad of cash and putting it on the table and just being like, you know, buying her right now. But uh, driving around with that cash in my car in uh, North North Jersey, a little sketchy for sure. But the deal got done. Well, listen, I uh, I knew a guy in Vegas. I once had uh, we went to um, uh, the Pepper Mill, the Pepper Mill, the greatest old diner in Vegas. And it had this lounge in the back that was like this all night 70s themed lounge. And we went there one morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. We met there and I was talking to him. He was a young guy, young guy, younger than me, uh, still much younger than me. And um, everybody is these days. But he was a professional gambler and we were talking. And then I was leaving that morning to go to the airport. So he drove me to the airport and we get into this car that is so beat up, rust holes everywhere, like no air conditioning. And then I go to get my bag out of the, I go to put my bag in the car before we leave for the airport. And there is a duffel bag loaded with bricks and bricks of hundred dollar bills. And the guy has about a hundred grand in the trunk of this car because that's what he's going to go around town betting that day um, after he dropped me off. And I'm just like, can't you get a nicer car? but he's spending all his money on the betting. That's all he's thinking about. No, honestly, that's a pro move. I have a burner car too, an old Chevy Cobalt. That's the only car I drive to sports books. Like I've never been followed. I've never been followed into a sports book. I've never been followed outside of a sports book. Anyone listening, if you're going to bet large money, get a burner car. Even if it's the only time you use it, it's taking it to a sports book. I never roll up in a Range Rover, BMW, anything. I always just go in a piece of crap car because legit, your job's to make money sports betting. There's other people's jobs that are to rob you. So I love where that guy's head's at. Just drive a burner car. Dude, you just blew my mind with that level of inside information. <laughs> that is some of the coolest. That's like a note in a novel. That is some of the coolest shit I've ever heard. I'm writing that down. Burner car. It's going to be my exit strategy. Is that great American novel I'm going to write? And uh, I'm going to include that in there. Uh, the best. Let's get to some NBA games. We got two experts, two guys I love. They've been doing great work all season long. Like I said, Brandon Anderson, contributor to Action Network on our podcast all the time. Uh, Michael Walton covers the news desk for us. Also knows the NBA, uh, the champion. That's right. He's the champion of the Thunderdome. Knows the NBA as well as anybody. Fellas, Brandon, let me start with you. Here's a question right off the bat. Opening round, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, three favorites, lose the first game of the series. How do you reimagine pricing that series? Which one of those? Well, let's think about that. How do you reimagine pricing each one of those series? Yeah, the, the West was wild. I mean, all, all four series favorites lost the opening game. So that it, it sort of feels like the, the West is so competitive that the seeding is just thrown out the window a little bit although that shouldn't be the case we still got the home court advantage being being factored in but that didn't seem to be a big advantage in game ones either so yeah the the lakers i mean that's the big one that's also the hardest one to figure out what in the world to do with it uh, i know matt moore wrote about that line for game two opened at like suns minus two or so and flipped all the way to to lakers minus two what is going on with that like that is a huge swing and we know that Chris Paul is hurt. We don't know how bad he's hurt. We don't know how healthy LeBron or Anthony Davis are. 
we don't know a lot that's happening this series. We didn't know if DeAndre Ayton was going to get suspended because he stepped a foot on the court and it's the Suns and this is what happens when the Lakers play. Um, it doesn't appear that that's going to happen. The game is tonight. We haven't heard anything. But that that series in particular is is a really tough one to get a hold of until we, until we actually see on the court tonight. Can Chris Paul dribble with his right hand? Like, can he actually shoot the ball? These are things that could not happen in the second half of game one. And yet the Suns won comfortably anyways. And the Lakers really never even put a lot of pressure on them. Um, the Blazers-Nuggets series is really fascinating. The Blazers in game one came out and on the road just fired away. They just had more firepower. They just have, I mean, they have guards. They have actual NBA guards. And sorry to the guys playing on Denver, but all the normal guards are out injured. And it's hard to win in 2021, the NBA, without guards. The Nuggets last night made a ton of shots and showed up and tied it back up at one. So we know they're going to play with heart. We know that they're going to gonna not go away in that series. It, it, it's hard to take away anything more than just shooting variants so far, which is not a great takeaway for podcast format. Like, Hey, sometimes you make shots and sometimes you don't, you know, make or miss league, but it's, it's hard to look and say, Oh, the blazers are shooting 48% on threes. That seems pretty good. If they make 48% of their threes, they're going to beat a lot of teams, no matter what else is happening out there. So yeah, I, I like the blazers still. I like them going in what we've seen so far, even with a loss last night, I still feel like they're in good position in the series. They got one of the two road games for them. They're going home now. We've seen the Portland. We've seen their crowds. Guys, it's awesome to see crowds, actual crowds at games again. You know, MSG on Sunday going crazy. Spike Lee jumping around to the sidelines again. Like it's real. No, no pumped in noise finally. So it, this has been awesome. I, I'm loving it. I don't know what to make of these West playoffs. And I love that. I don't know what to make of them yet because it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I agree with you about MSG. We were actually just having our, uh, like I said, it's Tuesday afternoon. We have a show called heat check that we'll do at uh, six 30 tonight on at action network HQ. And we just had our pre-show meet me and Justin fan and Christina Ventura and Evan Abrams and Barbara Alberts, our producers. And um, we were just loving how MSG was so explosive and fun. Michael, you and I are deeply in love with the Chicago Bulls. We are deeply in hate with the New York Knicks. But I got to say, watching that game was so fun. Seeing the Knicks, seeing, seeing the garden just electric like that. It was beautiful. It was totally beautiful. And then they lost. When you look at the rest of that series, um, what do you think? Yeah, um, it's tough being a, first off, being a diehard Bulls fan. Obviously, I go into it uh, rooting for the Knicks because of Tibbs, Taj Gibson, D-Rose. You almost got the whole gang back together. You honestly just need Keith Bogans to sort of complete the circle there. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, I like this series a lot just because I feel that it's an obvious clash of styles. You have the Knicks, who are obviously a gritty, defensive-minded team, and then Atlanta that sort of went in all offense uh, with their acquisitions, getting Bogdanovich, and then the way they sort of play stylistically. Um, I think the big X factor that a lot of people didn't consider in this series was Nate McMillan, uh, what a different coach he is from Lloyd Pierce, and how he really got this Atlanta team playing some serious defense. So, um, you know, a lot of people are talking about how awesome this will be as a long series because of Madison Square Garden, obviously. I'm a little worried that it won't be a long series. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say anything like the Knicks would get swept or anything. Um, but 
I could see this being a gentleman's sweep in terms of just five game series here, because I think Atlanta has enough three point shooting to really just make this a tough matchup, no matter like even if Randall was going. And then you look at game one, Randall shot six of 23. Um, so I think you look at the way Atlanta can guard. You look at the way Clint Capella and even John Collins is playing feisty on defense. He had two blocks and a steal um, in game one. And John Collins isn't even really known as a defensive player. So you factor in all that and DeAndre Hunter, their young wing force coming back. I think Atlanta is underrated on defense and they simply just have too much shooting for this New York squad. Um, and that goes uh, down to the fact that, of course, Trey Young uh, was one for three from the three point line. <laughs> so uh, you look at that and there's just a lot to take away from game one that says the Knicks should have had a, you know, should have won that game. Uh, and the fact that they're down 0-1 just makes me worried for the outlook here. And that's that's what she said. It's going to be short because that's actually one of the few game, few series I bet to go seven. But back on the Suns-Lakers real quick, because I think that Chris Paul news is so huge to everything about that series where I bet that going in, going seven, because I, I thought like the first game, I thought it was going to be a really good matchup with two teams like back and forth. And the Suns obviously got the first one. If Paul's not what we think he's going to be, that's that's like pretty much the end of the Suns, right? We saw the Suns last year without Chris Paul. They were terrible. And I know they've made strides this year, but without him, it just – I would love to hear what your guys' take is on the future outlook of this, if he really is hurt, because he's an old guy. And this is one of those things where, oh, he's young, he'll be all right. He looked laboring in that second half, even though they did win. So I'm interested to think, what do you guys think about everything that's going on with Chris Paul with them? Brandon, why don't you start? Yeah, I mean – this guy, this poor guy can't catch a break. I mean, what is this, like the 10th playoffs of Chris Paul's career that we get like a few games in? It's like, oh, no, Chris Paul pulled the hammy again. Oh, no, he's broken a pinky. You know, it's like this guy, this guy made a deal with the devil that like he would be the greatest, most efficient point guard in regular season NBA history, but never, ever actually get to stay healthy for a playoff run. It, it's insane. And it, I mean, look, if Chris Paul were healthy, if he just was healthy and we saw what we saw in game one, I picked Lakers in seven in the series before this started. I wanted to pick the Suns. I don't believe in the Lakers. When I look at the Lakers, I see a team that I think a month or two from now, I think we're going to look at them and say, uh, you know what? This just wasn't the Lakers year. LeBron was never healthy. Anthony Davis was never healthy. You know, the, the long bobble run, it hurt all the other teams and eventually cut up to the Lakers. It just wasn't their year. But nobody's saying that right now. Right now, they're the defending champions, and it's LeBron, and they're going to do it. We're waiting for it. It's going to happen. I, I think, you know, everything is so obvious until it's not obvious, and then the other thing is obvious. And if Chris Paul was healthy, what I saw in game one from the rest of the Suns team would, I think, be enough to make me flip and, and be ready to take the Suns in this series. I think that they're the better team right now. They're healthier other than Chris Paul. But he is, is, he's the floor general. He's the one veteran on a team of so many young guys that haven't been here in this moment before. And it's, it's just so much reliant on that. If like, look, campaign has been really good off the bench for the Suns this year, but campaign needs to stay really good off the bench for the Suns in the series. If Chris Paul is out and campaign is the guy instead, and the Lakers are throwing that defense at him all game, and now that has to be what, how the offense runs. Like, it's, it's lights out. That's how big of a difference it is. So I can't touch the series until I at least see, like, is this a stinger? Is he just playing through a little pain? We know he's not going to just not show up. It's Chris Paul. Like, he's going to keep playing until they, 
like cut off his shoulder and drag him off the court or something. But it, it's it's such a huge swing factor right now. Michael. Uh, yeah, I'm sort of obviously in the same boat of Brandon in terms of Chris Paul's health is obviously the biggest thing to keep an eye out for here. Um, but I think the second biggest thing here is Anthony Davis. Um, you know, LeBron took 13 shots in game one over majority of his or excuse me, majority of his shots were three point attempts. So when you look at that, LeBron taking mostly perimeter shots is what your opponent wants to see on a nightly basis. Um, you know, whether or not he's 100 percent healthy, I don't think you're going to see LeBron uh, be that passive. But Anthony Davis, we've seen this from him before in terms of struggling with teams that switch, struggling with tough power forwards like Jay Crowder that can get physical um, sons, Hall of Famer, Eddie Johnson. Uh, brought up a great point there that, you know, Davis doesn't have great lower body strength, so he's not able to really grind out and post up even when he gets a matchup you would think of as a traditionally good matchup. Um, so Davis shot five of 16 in game one. It's just the bottom line. He's going to have to perform better. I think the big key to that is when he gets Aiden or any other you know player on him, he's going to have to take them off the dribble and try to get to the free throw line and stop relying on his jump shot so much. Um, but outside of that, I think the biggest thing is you need more Caruso for his perimeter defense because, you know, whether or not Chris Paul's out there, Caruso is always a positive. And then I'm not going to pile on Andre Drummond because I think there's enough people doing that. But I don't think you can start the guy. I don't think he's as much of a detriment as people paint him to be. Uh, but the Lakers, I think they went down seven uh, after the first quarter. They can't afford to get off to slow starts anymore with how, you know, rusty their offense looks at times. So I think... Vogel is going to have to start someone else at center, uh, whether that's Montrezl Harrell or Marcus Gasol, and just bring Drummond in off the bench as a change of pace. So I think they're going to need at least one major lineup change, and you're going to need Davis and LeBron both to focus on getting to the basket. I felt like at the top of the West, Simon, we've talked about this too, the top of the West with the Jazz and the Suns, it was so suspect. And... There was nobody I knew in our universe of genius prognosticators, analysts, betters, et cetera, who felt like either one of those teams were worthy of making it all the way to the finals. But the Lakers and the Clippers haven't looked like teams worthy of making it to the finals either. And those were the next tier of teams that everybody assumed. So what are we looking at here in the West specifically? Again, we're talking one game overreaction. The one game overreaction. Simon, I want to start with you because you are the king of reading the overreaction and then buying BMWs off it. So explain to me how you look at this and then what you think about from a betting point of view. Just in the West, overreacting. I love good teams in the NBA to get down 0-2, especially veteran teams. So like the Clippers, they fit that. To a T. I'm hoping they get down 0-2 to the Mavs. The Mavs are feeling good. Luca's killing it. And then we'll just see what can happen with the Clippers. They, they just fit that bill of this team that they, they seem like they have a couple things going wrong. And I could see them dropping another game. But at any point when they turn it on, I just could see the Clippers running away against the Mavs. We kind of know what the Mavs team are. They're a team just based around one superstar that they can have hot nights, like different guys, different shooters. But in a seven-game series, usually the best team is going to win out. So I feel like there's going to be good value on the Clippers here going into the game two. Overreaction, Brandon, in the West. Yeah, so I I love that if there is a team that you are irrationally certain of in the West, now is the time. Like, 
now is the time to grab their odds because they're all down in their series. Like you're getting better odds right now than you were three days ago. To me, what I saw, I, I have I have doubted the this version of the Los Angeles Clippers all season. I just don't believe in what I'm seeing out there. It's a team, when you look at the metrics, you see a team that looks like good or pretty good, but makes every shot. They led the league in three-point shooting percentage. They led the league in free throw percentage. They just make everything. And that's really great. And it's a very good skill to have in the playoffs until you don't have it in the playoffs anymore. And we saw what happened against the Nuggets last year, three games in a row when the shots didn't fall. And we saw in game one, the shots didn't fall. The Mavericks shots fell to make or miss league. And suddenly they're down 0-1. And I don't think that that's doomsday for the Clippers by any means, but the, the, the team that we saw last year, the big deal was, oh, they replaced Montrez Hale. They got Serge Ibaka now. Ibaka played 13 minutes in game one. Like he's a non-factor. He's not healthy right now. Oh, they went out and got Rajon Rondo. They got a real point guard now. Rondo is part of a three-headed point guard with Patrick Beverly and Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson is playing real playoff minutes right now. I don't feel like they've found the answers. I don't think they're going to go away. They're a team that absolutely can beat anyone. They're a team that's set up to beat the Lakers if they get there. But they put themselves on the other side of the bracket. They might not actually get there to face the Lakers at this point. I, I just, To me, the Clippers are too high variance of a team for me to believe in. They can beat anyone any night when the shots are falling like they can. But if they don't, I just don't see enough plan B or plan Cs. And I think if they do make a run, it's going to be a lot of game sixes and game sevens. And they're going to have just a pileup of attrition. And that's Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who don't like to play in long series and long playoff runs. I just can't buy the Clippers. What I saw in game one is the, the same fears I've had all season on them. All right. So Brandon, his overreaction response is buy in on the Clippers. Simon's overreaction response is buy in on the Clippers. Michael, I want your overreaction response to the West, but I want you to spend very little time on it because mm-hmm. I want to talk about the East. All right. Awesome. Well, that will be very easy because for once I was actually shocked. Me and Brandon are sort of aligned in our thought here. Um, so I am not buying the Clippers and that's just because I'm a Clippers hater. I'm never buying the Clippers. Um, I, my overreaction is uh, buy the Mavericks to make the NBA finals. Um, pretty big overreaction, but when I look at the way the bracket broke, um, I like their roster. Kristaps Porzingis, who I, you know, hate on a lot, shot one for five from three and didn't play well. And the Mavericks still beat the Clippers. So that's something to think about. And if they go on and win the series, they're going to get the winner of the Grizzlies jazz series. Uh, and I think they stand a pretty good chance in that series as well. So, uh, from there, I think the, they are going to be waiting on either the tired Suns or tired Lakers. And I like Lucas chances. So, um, I think Luke is going to be the best player in a lot of series underratedly. I would buy Mavs futures. So Matt Mitchell here always sends us notes. And for some reason he put, are the Bucks back? Back back from what? I did not get at all that question. <laughs> what are the bags buck, uh, back from? So, of course, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's one of those where I'm not, I don't like, sure, Miami, they're a good team, yada, 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 but. No one really, they don't really move the needle. It's really about the Bucks versus the Nets. It's feel like this is what we're all waiting for. So it's the obvious question. And now we're seeing the Bucks in the playoffs. Do you really think this team could take it to the Nets? Michael, you start. 
Yeah. So um, the Bucks are another one of the teams I'm irrationally high on. I think before the start of the playoffs, I bought in on a Bucks future to win the title. Um, pretty much it's, I think Drew Holiday is maybe not an underrated acquisition at this point because everyone talks about what an underrated acquisition he is. So sort of defeats the purpose, but the guy is an excellent player. Um, I think when you look at teams in the league, even that can guard the Nets, they at least have a shot because you go Giannis on KD, you know, Drew Holiday on Harden or Kyrie, Middleton on the other guy. And so I think there's a recipe for success. Brooke Lopez is still a big body and PJ Tucker, I think is, you know, fresher than people realize um, after playing for the Houston Rockets, we know what a vacation that can be. So uh, I think the Bucks just have a lot of defensive versatility. Uh, Budenholzer annoys me as a playoff coach to where he doesn't mix up his strategies enough, but I think we're going to see him mix it up a lot more and a lot more Giannis at center um, when it matters against a team like the Nets that I don't think are going to be able to guard Giannis at all. All right, so that brings up an interesting point. Uh, the East, to me, is just a less interesting matchup for the playoffs because it is, in a way that the West isn't top-heavy, the East is so top-heavy with the Sixers, Nets, and Bucks. Brandon, Michael clearly likes the Bucks to come out of the East. Uh, if you're ranking those three, which one, or is it someone outside of those three? It's definitely not someone outside of those three. The, the top heavy thing is right. That sorry, sorry to Knicks fans. There's three, and then there's everyone else, and it's just not changing. So, to me, the Nets, Bucks, like we're getting that series, and that right now for me is is my NBA Finals. Those are my two best teams in the entire tournament. The West is going to be fun. The Nets and the Bucks are the two best teams right now. The Bucs have answered the bell so far. Drew Holiday is not Eric Bledsoe. They are playing their stars big minutes. They're hitting their shots in game two. They're looking versatile. They're making a few more adjustments than what, you know, what Bud has done in the past. The Nets are still the Nets. They still have, we've only seen nine games so far from Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving. I, I think we still haven't totally entirely processed just how absurdly talented this team is. Like Kyrie Irving just had a 50, 40, 90 season and is going to be a threat to make an all NBA team. And he's easily only the third best player on this team. He has a championship winning shot and he's by far the third best player. But also then you watch the game and you're like, these guys are playing AAU ball. Like they don't even know how to play basketball right now. They're just kind of swinging it around and taking shots, but it kind of doesn't matter because they're so good at making them all. And I, I, to me, those teams are just a tier above the rest. I have the Nets as the title favorite. I have the Nets winning that matchup. I just think there's just too much talent to not figure it out. Uh, I talked before about like seeing the obvious in hindsight. I think in hindsight, we could look back and be like, hey, holy cow, Durant and Harden and Kyrie, this team was always going to slaughter everyone. So until I see that not happen, I have to take the Nets. The Sixers are a clear third to me. And then... I don't know. You could pick like the Hornets or somebody else for fourth after that because they all have the same chance from there. Uh, controversial hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Chris Middleton. Not that interesting of a player to me. Very expensive one, though. Very expensive. And I feel like if he's going to be one of the players who is your 
go-to guys and the compliment to Giannis along with Holiday, that's not a championship caliber team. Yeah, I, I think that if the Bucs fall to the Nets or if the Bucs don't make the finals, I think Bud is gone probably. And I think Chris Middleton might be the other fall guy. I think he becomes the Kevin Love of that team where it's like, ah, we got to blame somebody. We got to make a change. And it, it, the problem with Giannis is that like, look, we saw it the other night. It came down to overtime, final possession. And Giannis, the reigning 2-10 MVP, is not bringing the ball up and not touching the ball because that's not his game. It has to go to Chris Middleton. He made the shot. He won the game. But he might miss the next one. And if he does, he's going to be the one taking the blame. Michael Walton, before we go, before we get to Mike Leboff and talk about hockey, Mike Leboff was a revelation to Simon Hunter on the last podcast. They had never met. Leboff started talking and Simon just blurted out, I love you. So before, before we get to Leboff, right now, if I'm betting something, if I'm listening to this podcast, I got to bet on something. What am I betting? Is it a team to win the East? Is it a team to win the West? Is it a finals matchup? Is it a futures play? What am I betting? Brandon, you're going to get that question next. Uh, if, you, and if, if you're saying, what are you betting right now? Right um, now. I'm listening to a podcast. Right now, it's tough because I, I feel like I already sort of buried the lead there. I kind of gave it away, but I'm still doubling down on the Bucks' future uh, to win the title. Um, my biggest thing here is just to touch on the Brooklyn Nets, who I think people want to hear more about just because they're the exciting team that's the title favorite. Um, for their defense, they're relying a lot on a very talented young player named Nick Claxton. And for me, it's just a prove it thing when it's a player that young and it's the postseason. And so far, he's actually done an excellent job and he's proved it. Uh, but when it comes for me, I'm looking at like in the paint defense and I'm looking at Brooke Lopez and P.J. Tucker, two different style fives that I know can do it in the postseason. Uh, and then I'm looking at Nick Claxton and DeAndre Jordan and whatever the Nets have. And I'm still very worried about the defense. So I'm, I'm going to say get that that bucks money while you can before Giannis uh, makes all of us believers. I like it. Bold move going against everything we are all saying, but that's what the champion of the Thunderdome does. Brandon, quickly, give me your bet it right now. So right now, what I love, I love in a series when the team that I like better is not the higher seed, meaning that they start out on the road. And I love this round, the Atlanta Hawks and the Portland Trailblazers. And part of why I love betting the team that is the road team is because you get to start out on the road. You might steal one of those games, but I love to bet them winning the series in six. I don't want to bet on either one of these teams going to a road game seven and having to win in Madison Square Garden with the crowd going crazy at Denver in the elevation. I don't want to bet on them in five. The series is a little too short for me. It's another another road game. Like, is Trey Young going to go close out Spike Lee and shush him in game five at MSG? I don't know. Maybe we saw it, but I'm not ready to get there yet. Game six, that's the one. You come home, you get game six. You get those two. Portland, I think, was 490, plus 490 to win in six before the series, but it's still 300 now. Atlanta was something like plus 410. It's still plus 300 right now. So I love zeroing in on that game six win and getting much better odds on my series prices rather than a, a something of a coin flip. So I'm going Blazers and six and Hawks and six people lessons learned in the East since LeBron's left, never take the teams. Everyone's talking about, it just never works out in the East. What do we have? We had the Toronto make a crazy run when everyone was talking about the bucks. Everyone was talking about the Sixers the next year. We had the heat make a run to the finals when everyone was talking about these other teams. So I've learned my lesson. And as a Sixers fan, I could not be happier. 
No one's talking about the Sixers. Take the Sixers. I think it's still plus 300 certain books to win the East. Still plus 700 to win it all. Uh, again, if the Nets play the Bucks and the series goes six or seven, they come to Philadelphia. Philadelphia wins the first game. They're up 1-0. You'll have a very easy hedge out on the Nets or the Bucks. So to me, I just think it's a ton of value right now in the Sixers. Wow. Simon, you always come in with a really smart thing at the very end, which I love because you're so spot on. Brandon Anderson, read his stuff on actionnetwork.com. Listen to him on the Action Network podcast. Michael Walton, read his stuff on actionnetwork.com. Listen to him apparently on all of our podcasts because now that's like, you know, his side hustle. So, uh, fellas, thanks so much to both of you for joining. We got to bring in Michael Leboff. Michael Leboff, he runs our hockey coverage. He's the biggest Islanders fan in the world. He was texting us pictures the other day with his first day back at Nassau Coliseum. Tell me everything that's on your mind right now, Michael. I just don't understand the NBA still. I was listening to that conversation. Everything is so hypothetical in the NBA. Like everything, everything we talk about is stuff that doesn't happen or doesn't exist. I just, it blows my mind that people are so wrapped up in it. And we should be talking about the NHL. The, the first round of the playoffs have been amazing. Nassau Coliseum was a blast. Yeah, I, I, uh, I brown bagged a couple of naturalized tall boys, sat in the parking lot and talked with uh, various employees of the Islanders, some peeps, some like great Long Island deadbeats. And uh, uh, my friend who's a beat writer uh, for the Islanders too. And I mean, the Islanders lost the game I was at, which is why I'm wearing a different hat right now because that hat that I wore to that game is... Uh, been put away for the till the next series but it was it was amazing the one coliseum story i think this kind of wraps up my experience getting back into the barn was that the islanders were down 3-1 going into the third period they scored two goals to tie it and then the melee that ensued uh, after the islanders tied it up i noticed that I, I didn't have a hat on like a couple minutes later and then i looked at the guy in front of me and he was wearing my hat a couple minutes later, he took off that hat and realized this isn't my hat. And he turned around and I was like, I was like, yeah, that's mine. Um, and he goes, do you know where my hat is? And I said, no, but there was also a blue hat in the aisle. I said, there's a hat over there. And he's like, no, that's not mine. But the hat that the guy's sitting next to that blue hat is, I think that's my hat. And then gave me my hat back, but it was great. I mean, we ended up in the, uh, in the, like in the aisle and the staircase after the Islanders scored a goal. And that's how I lost my hat. That Not is only the were, worst story ever told on a podcast. You think so? I was insane. I don't. Has that ever happened to you? At, at, I mean, you don't sit in, in, in like the nosebleeds. I know you're like a, a, a courtside or bus guy on like whatever the hottest ticket in town is. Like, oh, let's go see the Knicks this year because they're good. <laughs> I like the Knicks now, everybody. When you're sitting in the gods, like that's what it's all about. Like you just end up wearing someone else's clothing. Can we unpack this for a second? Yeah. Number one. Talking about the NBA, hypothetical this, this guy that, blah, blah, blah. How is that any different than hockey? The things that matters the most to hockey fans are like the games that are played, not the like peripheral drama going on in the That's league. fucking bullshit. When you, when you talk about it right now during the playoffs, what people are talking about in the NBA, okay, if Chris Paul is healthy, this is what's happening on the court. It's no difference than if I were to say, if... You know, Doug Wilson were playing without a helmet for the Blackhawks. This is what would happen. 
I disagree with you entirely. I think that people, if you wanted to have a conversation with an NBA fan right now, you could just be like, should the, the Hawks get this guy next year to play with Trey Young? And then they'll say, yeah, of course. And then that conversation will become a thing of like, well, is Trey Young better than whoever else is good in the NBA? All of a sudden, the Nets had some guys that were like on a different team in the middle of the year. They're just like, I want to go play for the Nets. And they were allowed to do that. And like, that's that to me is just not fair, right? But whatever. And then I was listening. They were talking about like, yeah, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Ke- Kevin Durant. Like the team that has those guys are just going to win. So what is even the point of, of playing the games? Like those guys are really good at basketball and they're all in the same team. Like that's not right. Unlike Chad, I enjoyed the story. And I want to just say, you look like you had a great vacation to the Coliseum. You have a nice little tan on your nose. Uh, it seemed like you had a good time. You got to meet some people, trade hats. To me, Chad, oh, that sounded like a nice night. So let's just dive into hockey, though. I need to know, why am I not betting all my money on the Avalanche? Avalanche looks so much better than everyone else. Am I crazy that I just keep buying futures on the Avalanche? Plus 275 to win the cup right now. Well, the problem is like they they play a style of game that if you try to match them in that style, that run and gun up and down, you're not going to beat them. Like Vegas is probably who they'll play in the next round or Minnesota. Those those are two very good defensive teams that like to gum up the game. Like if you can turn the game into more of a coin flip against the Avalanche and sl- slow them down and uh, like use your size, like you can you have a chance to beat them. It's nitpicking because you're you're making up like a, a worst case scenario for them, which is why they're the favorite. Like, but they don't really have any insurance behind their their goaltender Philip Grubauer, which is, you know, not some teams are able to get through to to like a Stanley Cup with just one goalie, but it's not you know it's not something you you really want a reliable backup, and they don't. Vegas has one for sure, and a couple other teams that are in the running do. So it's 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 tough, but um, I mean I get I get it, and and I know they've looked great, but they're not. Uh, they're not going to be look as good against better teams. Like the blues, unfortunately were just like, they were a mess all year. I don't know why they couldn't figure it out, but cause they were a good defensive team for a long time, but they, uh, they got goaded into playing an avalanche style of series and they were, uh, they were smoked. So um, I don't, I don't think it's right right now is the right time to buy, but I mean, if you are interested, maybe they lose game one in their next series and you can buy low. What has been your most miserable betting experience so far in the playoffs. I know you love misery betting on the hockey, the hockey sport. When I look in the NHL Slack channel, which is my favorite Slack channel at action at this point, it's just emojis. It's just vomit emojis. So uh, what has been your least satisfying, most painful experience? I mean, the whole thing, even when you win, it's just agony. It's just pure. Like last night, the Islanders won a double overtime in a game. They were completely outplayed. And it was just agony. Like my, I watched the game with my, my dad and uh, at his house with, and my mom came down and she asked me why I was so upset because, and she's like, they're, they're tied two two. And I was like, that's, that's why I'm so upset. Like they're, they're, we're in double overtime. It's two, two. If they lose, my life is over. If they win, my life probably still is over. Cause they won't win the next game or the next game. Like it's, you just, it's people always like, Oh, the NHL playoffs, it's like ecstasy or or, or agony. And I'm like, it's either relief or agony. Like I was relieved after the Islanders won. I wasn't happy. I was just relieved. Um, and that's, that's kind of like what betting on the NHL is like, regardless, like, it's just, you know, you just win and you're like, Oh, thank God. Or if you lose, you just feel bad for yourself for a couple of days. And honestly, I, I don't know which one I like more. Uh, <laughs> that is the most Leboff thing ever. That is why I think for you, I, I wonder which came first. Your personality and then a love of betting on hockey or did a love of betting on hockey 
shape your personality? Uh, I think it was like my, I've always kind of been like this. It's like, I've, I've, I've uh, never, I've won one championship in my life in any sport. It was in fifth grade in BBL. Actually, I took a walk off charge to win, which was great. But since that, after that, it was just like all painful loss after painful loss. I mean, even in like my beer league softball, you wouldn't, you can't imagine the type of games that my team manages to lose. It's just like, you know, a walk off walk or something like that, or, a bad error. Um, so I think that's just like when you lose as much as I have, you kind of just learn to just make do exactly what you're not supposed to do, which is like they say, oh, you, lo- you lose or you learn. But for me, it's like you lose and then you feel really bad for yourself for like three or four days. And that's what that's what I've been doing for like my whole life. So I think uh, I think that's why I've, I've been me and hockey are very synergi- synergistic. Simon. Uh, so many questions. Um, yeah, for one, I would definitely say, like, I, I obviously I've been betting the Islanders simply because of you, and it's hilarious to bet them. Is it always this way in the playoffs? I forget if it always has been this way, but it feels like a lot of these games are really coming down to one goal. Like, you're not getting any value on the puck line, like, this year. Is that really common practice in the playoffs? It really depends on, like, the series. The East Division, which has been – Boston, Washington, the Islanders or Penguins was just tight all year. And like those, those teams play a very um, like grinding style of hockey. So you just won't see many blowouts in that kind of environment. Um, But there's always like matchups like that, like where people are just, they expect it to be, you know, a best of seven, like go go seven games. Each game is decided by a goal or two. Uh, But like, I don't, I wouldn't say that it's like a, a, a normal thing for it to be this tight. I, I do think like, one great thing about these, these playoffs has been like when you watch the, the bubble last year, it was nice to have hockey on and be distracted from the absolute shit storm that was going on in the rest of the world. But um, it, it didn't feel exactly the same. It didn't feel like playoff hockey because of like the crowd, whatever you want to, to say. Um, and this year it's been like very celebratory. Like it's like, like almost like a high school reunion in every game with the crowd, like the way the crowd is. And uh like, I think that that actually, like the, the players too, like th- these games, they always say, oh, playoff hockey is different. Sometimes that's a cliche, but this year it does look like these, like the, the teams, like you can visibly see are just like up for every second of the game. Like that, the Panthers lightning series. I don't know if you guys have watched. I mean, I'm sure you guys are all over Tampa Bay lightning versus Florida Panthers on this podcast that basically only talks about the NFL and NBA. By but- the way, don't listen, don't come after us. Don't, don't, don't be mean about it. Like we're giving you a voice. We're on your side. Go after the people who don't do that. All right. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> but and, like that series has been insane. And, and there's the crowd in Florida, which gets uh, as an Islander fan, I always feel bad for Panthers fans. Cause like the Canadian media just tries to move them around the country. They'll be like, Oh, Hamilton, Ontario could use a team. Let's move the Panthers there or whatever. Uh, but that crowd has been awesome. And those games have been awesome since game one, like the puck drop in game one, it's just been insane. And I think the crowd has a lot to do with it. Um, so I think that's also playing into why these games have seemed so tight around a razor's edge and why like, you know, when you do lose, like the agony is like that much more. True story. Last night, I don't know why. For some reason, I was thinking about the Memphis Grizzlies and then I was thinking about the Vancouver Grizzlies. Then I was thinking about Sharif Abdur-Rahim and like, whatever happened to that guy? He was such a great scorer. But then I did think, 
Vancouver Canucks. It's a great city, great team nickname. They uh they were had the luxury of playing a couple regular season games against the Calgary Flames while the NHL playoffs were going on, which was hilarious. Um I can't believe they made them play those games. But no, the Canucks, um, I'm I hate to break it to you, aren't in the playoffs. They were they're pretty bad this year. No, no, you're not breaking anything to me. I'm I'm fine with it. I'm just like the name and it made me think of hockey and you know, other than this podcast, it's the only time I'll do it. I think I always think the term long suffering is is thrown out way too like willy nilly. Like like if you're a Chicago Bulls fan, you're not long suffering. If you're like a Manchester United fan, you're not long suffering. People feel bad for themselves, like after like six or seven years of without a title. Vancouver Canucks fans, like they can say they're long suffering. They they haven't won ever won. They've been to a couple of Stanley Cups and and lost in I think game seven in both or six and seven. And um that is that's a fan base like I can I can really appreciate. What would you do? We had this really funny video the other day. Amanda Rose uh, went to the garden and she was asking Knicks fans what they would do for the Knicks to win a playoff series. And they were saying things like push my grandmother down the stairs, give away my 15 year old son. You love the Islanders. What would you do for them to win a Stanley cup title? Oh boy. Um, I think I would serve someone else's like life sentence or something. Maybe like if, like if maybe like the, the jury is like a little confused or something. I'd be like, all right, like how about I'll just, if the Islanders win the Stanley cup, I'll step in for that dude and I'll do his life sentence. Just uh, then I can just, cause then I, I wouldn't need, like you don't get a TV in prison. I assume I haven't done any time yet, but um, I wouldn't need to watch anything anymore. Cause I would just think about the Islanders, like winning the Stanley cup. And that's, that would be kind of enough for me to get through it. Um, I mean, I have this conversation I mean, just the other night I was texting, you know, Ari and a couple other of uh our uh, <clears throat> nhl fans the islanders i was at my brother's uh, bachelor party and we were watching the islanders beat the penguins in game four they won and obviously i hate the toronto maple leafs with an undying passion like i don't the maple leafs and rangers i hate them both and a lot of my friends think that i hate them more than i love the islanders but i also i think it's just one combined thing um you know my love for the islanders it has a lot to do with like that hatred and the Canadians were playing the Maple Leafs that night. And I told um, a couple people that had had the Canadians won game two of a first round series after the Islanders won game four of a first round series that that day would be just as, or maybe more meaningful than my wedding day. So that is, you know, that's where I was at um, mentally. They, the Canadians lost. So I luckily I didn't have to cross that bridge. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, I've seen the Islanders win a couple playoff series in the past couple of years, but before that, for the first 28 years of my life, I never saw them win one. So even like these game ones or game threes in the first round series, they, they really mean a lot. They really do. As someone that uh, has spent a lot of time in prison, you can have whatever you want, bro. You want a TV, you want a cell phone, anything you need. Don't worry, leave off. They're going to have it for you. So it's, it wouldn't be the worst thing doing a life sentence for someone, but yeah, that's uh, that's true fandom right there. By the way, when were you in prison? Uh, I visited friends, so that still counts. I've been inside of a prison right, multiple but for times. A second, uh, uh, for a second there, you tried to pull it off like, yeah, I've done time. I've done hard time. But really, you're like, you know, you're Will Ferrell. You're visiting. You're in and out. You're doing movies about it. But you haven't done time. Well, I have done time, Chad, but it was uh, in my youth and for things I don't need to talk about because they got expunged because of before I was 18. But 
No, I visit a friend in like an actual prison. Um, and yeah, obviously the people are terrified inside prison and they should all like, they look like they should be in prison. Like, you no know, movies that people that are in prison. They look like kind of friendly. Yeah. In real life, it's not like that. It's terrifying. But he told me it's honestly not that bad. You get TV, you get cell phones. It's, it's not as if they make it out to be. Guy, I don't know what kind of movies you're watching, but uh, I've never seen a movie where people in prison look friendly. Longest yard. Get out of here, Chad, old man. <laughs> what about Oz? Oz looks, Oz looks like I could do. Oz comedy. is the scariest show ever. <laughs> I still have nightmares about Oz. Yeah, Oz is tough. And it, it is. Oz hasn't been on since you were like eight years old. Leboff, we got to go. Come to game six tomorrow at the Coliseum. It's going to be it's going to be violent. I think more importantly, you should just come back next week and update us with uh, what's happening with the Islanders and game six. I hope they win. Uh, I hope you continue to shine as an Islanders fan and find both that relief and that agony and that Venn diagram that uh, you survive in. All right. But the, I mean, the offer's still on the table if you guys want to yeah. come. Listen. I'm not going to the fucking Coliseum to watch a fucking hockey game. Fort never lose. So I can, so I can wear somebody else's hat in the middle of a pandemic. The section is vaccinated. It's beautiful. People didn't have shirts on. I was, I wanted to cry. True story. Matt Mitchell and Mike Leboff uh, were both in a uh, 50th birthday video for me, and uh, Mike Leboff did it with his shirt off, as he does everything. Yeah, I, don't, I don't see the point in shirts really. All right, Leboff, we got to go. Listen, this has been the favorite podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. We don't require shirts. We don't require happiness. We do require winners, and we gave some of those away for the NBA playoffs, for the NHL playoffs, for Michael Leboff, for my BFF, my companion, my best friend, Simon Hunter. I am Chad Millman. We will be back on Thursday for the Thursday Thunderdome edition. Download us to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, love you.